0: Titus, uh, been an amazing book for us. I I know I've been challenged as I've uh, preached it uh, before you and personally as well as uh, thinking through what God has for our church. And um, so it's exciting to come to this conclusion where we really look at two things that he's already talked about. Themes, uh, one really big one for us this morning. So if you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you. Titus chapter 3, starting at verse 1 through the end of the chapter. Remind them to be submissive uh, to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, Slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. When the goodness and loving kindness of our God, our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our savior so that being justified by his grace we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life the saying is trustworthy and i want to insist on these things so that those who have believed in god may be careful to devote themselves to good works these things are excellent and profitable for people but avoid foolish controversies genealogies dissensions and quarrels about the law For they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful and is self-condemned. When I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way, See that they, are, they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send, you greetings, send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. God, thank you for this morning. We ask that your Holy Spirit would teach us now. Uh, that our hearts would be open and that uh, your Holy Spirit would work within us uh, to cause us to change. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we've gone through this passage and I, I want to talk about this last section. I realize that uh, in especially Paul's writings, he closes uh, the The letters very similarly talking about people. And I want to talk to you about family, uh, because that's what a church is. It's family. I think that it's one of the great struggles for us today is to understand what the church is to be. And let me ask you, uh, how many of you like to go out to restaurants? Confident. Some of you are like, yes, where are we going? Uh, uh, many of us treat uh, the church like a restaurant. Uh, we like to go there. Uh, we, you know, I, sometimes we say, "So, what do you feel like eating? What do you feel like eating?" And you're like, "Oh, I'm feeling like a burger or a sandwich or uh, Chinese food or Mexican food." You know, I, I like all those. I don't know about you, but I, I like all those. And the idea of going out, it, it sounds great, but there's sometimes where we say. No, I don't feel like that today. I don't feel like eating Mexican food. Or I don't feel like eating a burger. You know, I'm trying to eat healthy. And and sometimes we have that same attitude about the church. Or churches, I'd even say that. That we're kind of going, what do I feel like today? What do I feel like eating? You know, where do I feel like being? Or where do I not feel like being? I went there before and this and that. The problem with that kind of thinking, it doesn't have anything to do with with what the church is to be it's to be a family it's interesting uh for us at the bosler house um i have a wife she's sitting over there um this isn't a strange man she's sitting next to he is kind of but it's our brother-in-law ben um and uh there's a woman that looks a lot like my wife walking around here that's her her sister but um we, we have, uh, we're a family of six, and, and we eat together uh, much of the time, and we're together all the time, and we're arguing and fighting and trying to work together and doing all those things. Well, yesterday was an unusual day. Uh, we, Caleb headed down to Mexico uh, yesterday morning, I'm super excited for him. I can't, you know, I'm anxious to hear all the stories of, of what he learned and what he saw. You know, I, I think of him going to church and trying to figure out what the pastor's saying and using his first or second year Spanish. that He's doing better than I did when I was in Spanish. But uh, uh, having all those and seeing all these things, uh, I'm super excited about that. But he wasn't around. He wasn't around. And then uh, our youngest son, Daniel, was over at a friend's house. So, so last night we, we sat down for dinner and it was just the four of us. And the kids kind of go, it's kind of boring without Caleb and Daniel here. And yeah, I wouldn't like it if it happened all like they're getting this. And there's this sense of emptiness, emptiness uh, when our family's not around. See, that's the picture of family, isn't it? There's a sense in which we're missing them and they're missing us. You get this picture through the book of Titus that a church is meant to be a family and it's both ways. It's both ways. There's a sense of need for you to be here, but it's also a sense for us to have you here. You get this picture that that's what a family is. And it's not just, I know sometimes we get into attendance, you know, um, you, you win the attendance award at, award at school because you were there every day. Um, we never win that award at our house. I don't know why that is. But uh, um, actually, Caleb won it one time, and he hadn't had perfect attendance. They they skipped a line on the, the chart there, and it was somebody else that was supposed to win it. And Caleb got called up, and he had this look on his face of like, what am I doing up here? I've missed many a day. And... Uh, Uh, This isn't about attendance. Church isn't about attendance. It's about that we would be connected one to another. Connected one to another in a family relationship. This is the picture that God has for us. In fact, I see it at the end of this book. You, You get this picture that it's the context of family life in the church. If you look at verse 12, he says, When I send art and tie to you that's what their friends called him, art and tie um they, they, they were saying hey you know what they're gonna come and they're gonna be with you you know these guys they're, they're from us we're, we're gonna send them to you in fact he goes on to say do your best to come to me meet me at that starbucks in Nicopolis, right over there right you know we're gonna meet in another town why were they gonna meet why do we meet because we want to spend time with one another You see, uh, a family. When you're a family, you spend time with one another. It's not just you. You you know about when you don't call your mom and dad enough. What happens, right? You you finally call and, and you say, "Hey, it's me." And they say, "Me who? Kevin? Kevin who? Your son? Do I have a son? You know, I don't. I can't remember. You never call." That's that feeling, right? And so they spent time together. He says, hey, you know, these? I'm sending them to you. We're going to go meet in this other city. He goes on to talk about uh, two people. And he says, take care of them. Take care of them. You, you have uh, in verse 13, he says, Do your best to speed Zenus the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. What, what are we supposed to do with these two men? We are supposed to take care of them. How was that? Chances are it was money. Chances are it was money. You look at verse uh, 13. That's a missionary verse. That's the picture of what we do with missionaries. Is that, that God has put them and they have a job to do. They have a place that they're going. And what is it the family responsibility to do? To send them on their way to give them what they need so that they can go about and do what God's called them to do. I want to warn you, church. I want to warn you about something. In the next year, two years, three years, five years, I don't know how it's going to be, we're going to send out missionaries. Okay, I'm not speaking uh, like I know this is going to happen. I, I what I'm saying is I know of three or four family units, or people from our church that are preparing and planning to go. And so what do we do? Well, um, we say, hey, now you got to raise support. (laughs) Raise support. Is that the picture here? Is that the picture of missionaries? No. It's they have needs, and what's the church supposed to do? Meet those needs. Meet those needs. You know, um, sometimes it's hard when... uh, we have missionaries come through here. And we sit back and we go, I don't know, what, what should we do? Is this a good thing or a bad thing? Hey, sometimes that's hard to figure out. But but when it's family, what do we do? What do we do? We take care of their needs and we send them on their way. Get ready. Get ready for that to happen. This is in the family context. I think it's interesting how Paul refers to these people. He says... Um, in verse 14, he says, our people, our people. He, as he reflected on what we're talking about this church, he says, these are part of our family, part of our family, part of who we are. He calls them to urgent needs. And then lastly, he says this. He says, sends greetings to you both ways. Why? Why? Real simply, because they're family. They, there's a sense of connection there that's not natural. It's made by the gospel taking over in their life and so their family. And let me just say it to you this way. Um, You need to be part of a family. It it may not be here. It may not be here. But it probably is here. It probably is here. And you, you um, you, you don't just trade families, right? I know that we've all dreamed of being in somebody else's family. Did you ever have that feeling? He looked at them and they go, oh, they look like a lot more fun than we are. Oh, you know, they live in a nicer house. Their mom doesn't yell as much as my mom does. You know, all those kind of things. You go, oh, I wish. Hey, you know what? We're stuck here. We're stuck here. God has called us to be family together. This is the context of the message that we have looked at. This morning, I really want to focus on verse 14 because I think it's his... Uh, a theme that he has pulled out throughout the book of Titus that I think is his last his last saying. He says, I want you to get this and get it clearly. In verse 13, he says, And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. A couple of things here. First of all, um, He wants us to have a fruitful life. Paul wants to make sure that Titus knows that that church is to be fruitful. But bigger than that, God is working in Paul's life to direct a message. He says, hey, I've saved you. I've saved you. I've done something in your life. I've changed you in such an amazing way that I don't want you to live an unfruitful life. If You can picture... Uh, a fruit tree, and you plant it, and you plant it as a small little seedling and you 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 put the the soil, you prepare the soil, you dig a, a large hole, and you put a good soil around it, you, you put some fertilizer on it, you you protect it from the gophers if you 're up here, uh, and you put some uh, other stuff around it, so the deer and rabbits won 't eat it, and you, you, you say i 'm going to protect it and you water it. You water it faithfully and you're you're weeding around it and you 're tending to it and year after year you're you 're trimming at the tree and and then it, it comes and it's be- it 's this beautiful tree, and you get nothing from it, nothing you say, I was looking forward to these beautiful peaches or apples or whatever fruit it was, but it produces nothing. You've invested much in it. You've been patient. You've, you've tended to it. And yet it produces nothing. I know we all know about uh, wasting something, right? Of Working really hard and at the end of the day, stepping back and saying, I didn't accomplish anything. I worked real hard for nothing. The, the warning here is this, that that could happen to you. That your life, uh, the things that you are doing, the 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 life that you are living, the activities that you are filling your day with, at the end of the day, could be worth nothing. And he wants to guard us against having an unfruitful life. He gives us a, a word here, and it's it, it, he's already mentioned it in the same type of argument prior, but he says this. He says, "Let our people learn." To devote themselves. To devote themselves. Do you know what that word devotion is? Do you use it ever? It's the idea of of saying, this is what I'm going to be committed to. Or or even maybe another word that's simpler for us to understand. This is going to be my priority. My priority. I'm always amazed uh, at athletes, and uh, specifically I think of Olympic athletes, because... They drive to a goal. It doesn't happen all the time, right? It's not something that happens every year. It doesn't go on your schedule. It's like they know a date and they push to it. And so what do they do? They get up early, right? They get up early. They have a training regiment that, that no one else does. In fact, their peers, many, many times they, they're, they're homeschooled. They, they, don't have, they don't go to a regular high school. Why? Because they're doing something different, right? They, they can't afford to be like everybody else because they're devoted to this. And then you, you watch what they eat. What do they eat? Stuff that you and I wouldn't eat, right? Super healthy and they have these diets that they're, they're really, they, they figure everything out and they say, this is what I need to eat. Why? Because they're devoted. That's their priority. Do they like it? probably not probably not they're doing things that they probably don't like to do so that they can reach the goal they're committed to it and you get this this picture that they have made something their priority and so they're driving to it this morning we're going to talk about something one thing that that we are called to by god to be devoted to to make it our priority it's interesting um when something is a priority for you, it piques your interest. You know, if it's your priority to be a great musician and you overhear somebody talking about your instrument in Starbucks, you kind of go like this. Hey, I want to talk to them because that's my priority. You, when you, you know, the catalogs come and when it's something you're interested in, you, you get that big stack and it's almost like you're happy to get a catalog. Some of you are happy to get catalogs, aren't you? uh it, it's because it's something that you love and have chosen to make a priority above other things. Well, what is it? Um, it's good works It's good works. This morning, um, we're going to talk about good works. what is What does that mean? What are they? And in your mind right now, I, I just want to breeze through the book of titus real real briefly. Um, and just show you that good works is found throughout the book. In verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 8, talking about overseers and elders' qualifications and identifications, it says this. In verse 8 it says, But, uh, but hospitable, a lover of good, a lover of good. And the first idea is that that to be a, a a leader in the church, to identify yourself as God's man is that you be a lover of that which is good. If you skip down to verse 16, it's talking about sinful people. In fact, people in Crete. Crete was known to be a sinful place. In verse 16 it says, They profess to know God, but deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Remember that, unfit for any good work. We're going to talk about what fits us to Um, accomplish that which God calls us to. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 7, talking about Titus himself, he says, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Skipping down to verse 14, talking about our salvation, it says this, Who gave himself, meaning Jesus, gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. You get that picture? Zealous for good works? Excited about good works? That's the idea of having that as a priority. You're saying, hey, we need someone to, to do good works. And you're like, I love doing that. I'm excited. You're calling my name. I, I You know, I... I zone out on all other things but when I see this this is what he's made me for as you skip down to verse um, chapter 3 verse 1 he says remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities to be obedient to be ready for every good work ready once again as we look down uh, to verse 8 in chapter 3 It says this, after he talks about our salvation being saved, he says this, The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. There it is again, right? Devote themselves, even in the same construction there. The sad thing about talking about good works is that most of us don't even know what good works are. We don't even know what they are. Um, Part of my upbringing messes me up in the uh, church training that I am. Sometimes immediately I go, good works, baptism and communion. It's not what it is. It's not what good works are. Baptism and communion. Sometimes we think of good works and we say, "Uh, I know what good works are. They're things that I do that make me look good, and so they're good works. I look good, and I did them, so they're good works. It, it all flows together. That's not what the Bible's talking about, and I want to be as clear as I possibly can this morning because I think it's critical for us to be and do what God has saved us for this morning, that we would understand what good works are. First of all, I want to talk to you about this, okay? Um, Good works are not uh, driven by earning His favor, impressing our God, but rather they are the product of His work in our life. Okay? Good works are not impressing God, they're not in any way earning his favor. Good works are come from him working in me and him doing his work in me that that might come out at a later time. I want to show that to you. If you skip up uh, in chapter 3 to verse 5, it says, he. this is side by side here, side by side. He saved us. Who saved us? God saved us by the death of His Son. He, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. You can't do it. You can't do it. Nobody has been saved by what they have done. Not one. Not anyone has been good enough. Think of the best person you've ever met. Think of the person that our our world thinks is the best person. Most humble serving person They've done on all... no one has been saved no one has been saved apart from the blood of jesus doing the complete work of it no one super important and so you get works right there your good works don't work in that verse in fact it goes on to say it says in verse five he saved us not because of works by done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. The idea of his mercy being, we deserved punishment. But instead he showed us mercy. Our works weren't didn't work. And in fact, the things that we had done deserved wrath. But instead mercy came. And what happened? By his own mercy, by washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He made us alive when we were dead. Verse 6, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so being justified by his grace, being made right by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And then the very next verse, I've already read it. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works the work of God predates in my life good works flowing out from there. Do you understand that? It had to come first that He had saved me before good works could come out of my life. Get that firmly fixed in your mind. That if you're to be committed and devoted to good works, you first need to have him having worked in your own heart, bringing you to life, cleaning you up from the sins that you had committed. That's the first thing you need to know about good works. They flow from a life that's already been changed by the work of God. The second thing is that good works are not according to the culture around us. They're they're not like uh, the world says, it, you're a good person if you do this, and if we do that, then we've done good works. They're not. In fact, uh, I think there's a great example uh, in the book of Titus. Where, where, where was this church that they were? What, does anyone remember? Crete. Okay, Crete Island. What, what can, We don't know a whole lot about what it is to have island living, right, in the Isle of Crete. Other than this, other than this, look at verse, chapter 1, verse 12. Chapter 1, verse 12. What was their culture? One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, says, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. That was their culture. And so some of us look at that and we go, man, that's California. That's not Crete, that's California. That's the way they live. It's all about me and doing whatever I want. I'll I'll be lazy. I don't care. Everyone else owes me this. That's California. And so sometimes we look at that and we say, well, I'm I'm better than the people around me. Like we're supposed to be better than culture and that makes good works. No, it's not. It has nothing to do with your culture around you. It has everything to do with how God sees us living and what he calls us to. Good is according to God, not according to our culture. Third thing I want to tell you about good works is this. It bears fruit in the gospel work. It bears fruit. Why, Why is it that he says, hey, be committed to good works? Why? Isn't it easier to 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 just take care of yourself? Isn't it easier to just take care of your own needs? You just say, I'm just going to take care of what I want to do and take care of my own business, mind my own business, just, you just quietly take care of myself. You say, why would I be committed to good works, outward things? Because it is the safeguard against having that wasted life. In fact... It will produce fruit. It will produce fruit. I I get this picture, and let me step back a little bit. What does this mean, good works? Well, it means that your acts of goodness, the things that you do for one another, that that, having been changed by the gospel, will now be an instrument where God changes the world and does His work through. You have an example right in the passage. Hey, this lawyer guy and this other guy, uh, send them on their way. Well, what, what was happening? They were giving money. They were providing a new knapsack or new shoes or uh, food for the trip. They were saying, hey, I'm encouraging you. They were going out of their way. They were setting these two up, and then they were supposed to send them on their way. That was ministering to it. That was taking care of their needs, not their own. And so, what, what was that going to do? That was going to go whatever they were doing. What kind of ministry they were doing? I don't know what they were doing. We don't know, but th- that was going to go produce fruit. You know, there's a danger for us to to think in grand terms and miss the opportunities all around us. I, I think of this verse being a great one for missionaries and moms. Don't you see moms in there? Don't you? you got to study the greek a little bit more and see that in there the picture here is this that um you know i've i've known some moms i live with a mom i had a you know i have a mom I don't live with her anymore i've talked to other moms there's some things about being moms that aren't that great right you know there's a sense where you know they don't the kids don't say to you say Mom, what would fit into your schedule right now? Mom, uh, I got some things I need to uh, work on and stuff like this. Are you okay with us doing that now? Uh, No, they just kind of barge into your life, kick your own Legos over and uh, take your schedule, rip it in front of your face and then say, I'm now the most important thing right now, right? (laughs) Hey, moms, good works. And you say, well, why, why, why should I display good works to this, uh, ungrateful, uh, you know, I could go on, I could go on, I won't. You know what I'm talking about, right, moms? You, you say, why should I? Good works. And you know what good works produce? Fruit, fruit of the gospel. Moms, your greatest mission field is the kids that you have, have raised and are raising. It's your greatest mission field. And, and you want the fruit of the gospel to go out in them. You, you realize you're saying, well, that's going to take me putting myself aside. Exactly. Exactly. And it's worth it. It's worth it. Because it will leave your life. It, it, will, leave, it, it will protect your life from being unfruitful. It will bear fruit in the gospel work. In the context of this book, he says the reason you do this is not just to work hard, not just to give, but the increase that will bring in the gospel. Next thing I want to talk about is that good works benefit others, not self. Good works benefit others, not self. I think sometimes we... Um, we have this attitude in our own hearts that my good works are on my terms what I want to do, when I want to do it. And and, and that's that will be a benefit to everyone else because I want to do it. It's not. It's for their benefit. It's very practical. Um, let me give you an example. I say I like to cook. I, I'm I love to cook and I say, you know what, I'm going to do a good work by me cooking for you. Me cooking for you. And what it's, it's one of our family recipes. I know you'll just love it. And I love cooking it. It's pig parts, potatoes and sauerkraut. You take pig feet and the ears and the face and the nose and you put it in a pot with sauerkraut and potatoes and then you simmer it over a long period, slow and low. You know, It's just this beautiful thing. The aroma just fills the house. And I show up, a beautiful day for it too. This would just be a perfect day where I show up to your house with this pot of pig parts. It's got a fancier name, I'm sure. Uh, but I show up at your house and I say, I've made this for you this is my good work of the day. And, and some of you would look at me and you'd go, oh, you shouldn't have. You shouldn't have. You say, I'm just doing good works, just like we went through in God's Word. That's not a good work. It's not a good work. It, it, it's meeting the other person's needs, not your own. It, it's not saying, hey, this is what I do. It will meet your need whether you like it or not. I think about um, how this works. Uh, I thought of a friend. Um, some of my high school buddies, they were in their first couple of years of college, we were friends in high school, and they had this great idea that they were going to go up to Alaska for the summer. And, uh, you know, the, they were packing and, the you know, late at night. And they got some great ideas late at night that, you know, hey, let's, let's shave our head. Let's shave our heads, you know, get the razors out. And they just, you know, their skin and they're, they're, they're so excited about their new hairdo. Well, one of their grandmothers um, had gone out and bought them all this hair care products like shampoo and stuff. And she was so mad at them. She was so mad at them because she had bought this for them. The problem was they didn't need it. They didn't need it. What I want you to see is that good works, good works have everything to do with the needs of people and specifically the need of the gospel. That that we respond to needs, not because of what we want to do, but because of what's needed. It's very pragmatic in that sense. It benefits others, not self. In fact... It replaces it replaces self-benefit. Uh, the simplest thing is money, right? Is, is, if, is if you need money and there's a sense of that this is part of what God's doing and he's calling me to give. If I have $20 here and I give it to you, guess what? I can't spend that $20 again. I don't just make a copy of that and then have two $20 bills. I give one to you and one to me. It replaces what I was going to do. And it will always do that. I I think that sometimes we get confused and we say, we can have it all. We we can give money away and we'll, we'll still be able to spend all the money we can or want. Uh, We can uh, spend time serving others and we'll still have all the time to spend on whatever we want over here. In fact, what happens is usually our plan is for this and if we are to do good works, it's turned away from that and it's invested in others and sent out. This is what he calls for us to be our priority. You know, it's hard in our world because in our world, so much of what we are doing, uh, we go to our job and our car and our home. And we come back to our home. We have our schedule. We have our kids, our, our family. And, and we, everything is our. And, and this is what we're focused And we're so busy. We're so busy with all those things of us. We say, well, when will this fit in? I want to tell you it won't. It won't fit in. It's a cut and replace thing. Okay. It, it it's it, to do good works we have to set aside ourselves i also want to say this um it's focused on the fruit not on our pride not on our pride well that's a tough one it's subtle too pride is so hard for us to see in our own lives if we give money we want a plaque That says our name on it, right? Something that reminds people that we gave what we gave. You said, oh, I'd never do that. I'd never do that. But would you do this? Boy, I'm tired today. Well, why are you tired? Uh, Oh, uh, boy, I just worked really hard the other day. What were you doing when you worked so hard? Uh, you know, I was just serving the Lord. I was just serving the Lord. This, this person couldn't clean their home. And so I, I went over and I, I, I did it for them. I just knew that the Lord wanted me to do it. Is that an issue of pride? I want to tell you, if we're motivated by pride, it does not fit what God describes as good work in the book of Titus. That's the, the righteous works that don't work, right? It's the picture here of, of us being concerned. And, and not concerned about ourselves, but about the fruit that this will produce. Also, if I can, uh, if I can say it like this too, good works are not our spare time or money. Spare time or money. I know that uh, sometimes we, uh, we have hobbies that we do. And we say, "Oh, I go to my job. I, I work my whole day. And then, then I take care of stuff around the house. And if I have time, if I have time left over, uh, I do this. I spend some time doing this. But these are the important things. No, no, no. What we're talking about is committed things, right? This is what we're committed to. The picture we get here is the idea that, that we are sacrificially slaving for the kingdom of God. We, we, are, we are considering we are putting ourselves out, not giving up the spare things. It's the picture of quiet, practical meeting of needs. Quiet, practical meeting of the needs of others. want to give you one last thing i know that some of you are struggling here today and you're going i feel guilty over good works it's not good when you're guilty over good works okay it's not good i want to point out one thing that's super important um how come he said it so many times How come he said it so many times? We went through all those verses talking about good works, to be zealous, to be committed once, and then he says it again. How come he said it so many times? In fact, did you catch that word that he used in verse 14? And let the people learn. Learn. Most of us think that that good works, you know, I, I talked about the prerequisite for good works is that I would be changed in the gospel. That's true. And yet, and yet, he goes on to say, be zealous, be committed to, learn how to be committed to. Why? Because even, even being changed in the gospel, we have to learn how to do this. This has to be a priority. This is a class we need to go to. This is a skill we need to attain. This is a change of thinking that needs to happen. I think about it and I go, you know, how many of you have ever been, had a time in your life where you've been selfish? Yeah, like 43 years, you know, and and the idea that we would just flip a switch inside of us and that we would go from being selfish, self-consumed, uh, just worried about our own desires and wants to being one that is zealous for good works committed to them, that doesn't happen. And so we're mindful of it. And we say, this is what this new life is all about. It's about me serving others for the sake of the gospel. It's me already having all my life taken care of in Jesus. And now freed up that I could go serve. Good works for others. This morning, uh, what we've been talking about is for us is that having us been been saved by the grace of the gospel jesus did on the cross that we would be devoted now to good works slaving for him so that we won't waste the days of this life that he's given us some of us feel maybe uh useless today hey just serve one another just serve one another Look for opportunities to send people on their way. Look to your kids, your family, your church members. Minister to them in a sacrificial way. This is what God has saved us for. This is why he went to the cross, that he might give us life, that we would not be wasted, but be fruitful for his name. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Uh, I pray that you would uh, continue to make clear in our mind the difference between us trying to earn your favor in acts of righteousness that we do and that simply uh, to be your hands and your feet, to be about good work, zealous for them because you have changed us on the inside. God, I pray that you would help us to see clearly what you want us to do. I pray that you would remove the motivation of just guilt, but rather thrill us in the gospel. Thankful for the freedom that you have given us, the the new life. And out of that new life, may we serve one another. God, thank you for uh, making our life worth living. We praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.